0: Kira Church Fano, I'll be reading from First John chapter 2, 1, uh, verses 1 to 17. If you've got one of the church Bibles, it's on page 1054. And just before we read, we'll just pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And as we read it, I pray that you will transform our lives. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. My dear children, I write this to you. So that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. We know that we have come to know him if we keep our, if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he says is a liar and the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Dear friends, I am not writing to you a new command, but an old one, which you have known since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard, Yet I am writing you a new command. It is truth. Its truth is seen in him and in you because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves his brother and sister lives in the light and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. I am writing to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, dear children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God lives in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever.
1: Morning. Welcome, everyone. My name's Rob, and it's great to be here this morning as we're unpacking God's word together. Uh, so, first of let's, all, uh, let's pray. Pray that uh, God's Spirit will guide us and lead us uh, as we go through His Word. Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, we come before You, Lord, with this great privilege of being able to unpack Your Word together. We pray that You would guide us and lead us through Your Holy Spirit, that You would soften our hearts, open our eyes, and that we would be changed and transformed by your word, Lord. May you be glorified this morning and honoured. In Jesus' name, amen. What is a draft? What does a draft look like? Now, if you're asked that question and you don't have your phone on you at that moment, how would you answer that? So imagine if you've got a niece or a nephew they're about to go on a safari. And you tell them about giraffes, and they're super excited. They're looking forward to seeing one. So they ask you, what does a giraffe look like? And how do I know that I'm going to see one? Now, this is, now, this is not how you want to answer. Right? You don't want to say, oh, it's a mammal, it's got four legs, it's orange, it kind of has a tail that flaps around... That's not helpful, right? Because that pretty much describes a lion, a giraffe, and about a half a dozen other African animals. You want to be specific, right? You want to tell them the one characteristic, the one external feature that makes a giraffe a giraffe. So you say, well, it's over four meters tall. No other animal are you going to see that's going to be over four meters tall. Now, what if someone asked you, what does a follower of Christ look like? What is that one external characteristic that all believers share that when we see we know, yeah, that's a follower of Christ? This is what John is tackling uh, in this passage. So in this book he's writing to uh, the church and he's giving them assurance that they know God. Um, In this particular passage he's honing in on that question of what does a follower of Christ look like? So he's uh, stating this one external feature that makes a follower of Christ a follower of Christ. Now, in the same way, if you go to the zoo or you're on a safari and you see a giraffe, you just know that that's a giraffe because it's over four meters tall. And it's that same way here. So as we're going to dive in this passage, it's going to raise three big questions that John is going to ask and answer. So the first question is, what does a follower of Christ look like? What is this external feature that all believers have and share in common? Well, let's have a look at verse 3. So, verse 3 is his big statement, and he's going to spend about the next 12 verses unpacking verse 3. So, let's have a look at it together. In verse 3, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. So, what does John mean when he says, Come to know him. To know someone it's, it's more than just to know of someone because I know of King Charles. Right? I know what he looks like. I know that he's the King of England. I know that, uh, that he, where he lives. Uh, I could probably check up on the on Wikipedia to figure out when his birth date is. I know who he, his children is. but I don't know King Charles. I don't know how he's going. I can't just hang out with him during the week when I want to. I can't just flick him a message seeing how he's going. I can't just send him this meme that I think he'll find funny. And King Charles doesn't know who I am. He's never talked to me. He doesn't know me. What John is implying in this passage is that a deep, true knowing, it's a fellowship with God that because lots of people know of God, uh, lots of people know facts about God, uh, know lots of stuff about the Bible. But what John is, is trying to get at is, do they know God? So we see that, that answer in the second half of verse 3. So this is how you know if we know God, we can be sure we know God. The, the second half of verse 3 if we keep his commands and, and John is doubling down on his statement in the next verse and verse 4 whoever says I know him but does not do what he commands is a liar and the truth is not in that person so John says that you can't claim to know God but then go and ignore his commands but what, is it, what does that mean? Because isn't John kind of contradicting himself? Well, because we saw last week, uh, in the previous passage, in chapter 1, verse 8, he writes, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not within us. So, everybody sins. Um, And then chapter 2, verse 1, But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ. So then John goes on to acknowledge that if we will continue to sin, but we still have an advocate. We still have Jesus. So how does, how does this fit in with verse 3 and with what John's saying? Well, what John is not saying is that we, is that we come to know God through keeping his commands, Right, nowhere in this passage is John saying that we come to have fellowship with God because we've been keeping his commands. What we actually see in this book and what we've seen in the last week is that we come to know God through Jesus' death and resurrection. And that fellowship with God leads to keeping his commands. And keeping his commands, that's an outflow, an outcome Of knowing God. But there's this acknowledgement that as followers of Christ, we're still going to sin, we're still going to fail and fall short, but there's a striving towards keeping God's commands. And there's going to be this grief and sorrow over the sin in our lives, but there's a striving towards holiness and obedience. So if I went for a walk, uh, and I see a fruit tree out in the distance, and I want to know what type of fruit tree it is, so I go up to it, and I examine its fruit. So I see it's an apple tree. Now, what if at home I only have lemon trees, but I really want an apple tree? Do I just grab some apples, grab some glue and sellotape, Go to my backyard and then just try and glue and sellotape these apples to the lemon tree. Do I have an apple tree now? Right? Because look, there's a tree with apples on it. Doesn't it mean I now have an apple tree? No. No, obviously not. And it's the same way here. They're just doing good works, right? Just trying to follow his commands. That doesn't make us a follower of God. That's just like trying to glue and sellotape an apple to a lemon tree. God's works and and following God's commands, that's the external evidence. That's the fruit of knowing God and having fellowship uh, with him. Because that's how we as as people, that's how we respond to God's love to us. So we see that in uh, verse 5. So chapter 2 verse 5, but if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. So obedience here is the external evidence that we love God because we love what he loves. So to answer that question, what does a follower of Christ look like? So that that key external characteristic, that key piece of fruit in their lives is, do they obey God's command? Do they obey God's commands? So this naturally flows on to the second big question in this passage. What does obedience look like? So the language that John is using here, it's not referring specifically to the Ten Commandments or specifically to the laws in the first five books of the Old Testament. In the original language, the the word here implies just a more sweeping general following of all of God's commands. So how does John view God's commands? Well, actually, he tells us Um, in the next chapter, in chapter 3. Chapter 3, verses 23 to 24, it'll also come up on the screen here. This is what he writes about uh, God's command. And this is his command, to believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. The one who keeps God's commands lives in him, and he in them. And this is how we know That he lives in us So what are the the Commands that we must keep Well firstly It's to believe in the name of Jesus Christ That's to believe That Jesus is the Christ Is the saviour And that he has saved You from the punishment Of your own sin So that's the first command The second one is to love One another So you can't see the first one or you can't see belief but you can see the second command and that's what John is honing in on and, it, and he's writing here is, it's not something that's groundbreakingly new it's not something John's just pulled out of his back pocket and it's just taken everyone by surprise uh, this is what he highlights in verse 7 I am not writing you a new command but an old one so what does he mean that this is an old command? Well, this is, Jesus says this in Matthew uh, chapter 22. A passage will come up on the screens. He's, he's, re- he's responding to the Pharisee's question about what is the greatest commandment. And this is, how, this is how Jesus responds. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So for Jesus, Jesus here interprets all the laws, all the commands, to be pointing to two things. Firstly, love God and love God other people, love others. And John is saying that this command, it isn't new. but he kind of, what does he mean in the next verse? Is he kind of goes and contradicts himself um, in verse 8. Because he says this in verse 8, yet I am writing you a new command. So John is referring to what Jesus had taught him and the disciples uh, which he write, wrote in uh, his gospel. So in John chapter 13, verses 34, this is what Jesus um, taught. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so that you must love one another. So it's, it's a new command in a sense that Jesus... So God has reconfirmed, restated the importance of this command. And also, Jesus gives a new reason for why he must follow this command. Because he loves you. Because Jesus died for you. Because Jesus suffered under God's wrath for you. Because Jesus conquered the grave for you. Because Jesus loves you. If I told you that I was a Wellington Phoenix fan, right? and if you could get to know me and you could kind of examine my life, or maybe you know me well enough already, would my life be show you that I am a Wellington Phoenix football fan. Well, as you see my life, you'll see that I have never watched them play live. You also see that that I've actually never even watched a game of this. Uh, I don't even know a single player on their team. I have no idea what the scores have been in the last couple of games. I have no idea when they're playing next. I'm not even 100% sure on the rules of football. (laughs) Does me claiming to be a Phoenix fan, does that make me a Phoenix fan? No. Does me pointing to my lemon tree that's got apple solotape to it, does that make that an apple tree? No. Does claiming to be a follower of Christ but then failing to love one another, does that make me a Christian? No. Because the outward mark of a follower of Christ is love. The love of God and it's the love of others. And for today, that's that's, that's quite a radical message today, isn't it? Because, oh, man, we know how to love. Oh, we're very good at loving. It's just not loving God. And it's just not loving other people. We're just very good at loving ourselves. And we have this tendency to live life asking these questions. How can I live a life that makes me happy? How, what am I going to do tonight that give me pleasure? Am I having enough me time this week? Right? What is this church or community going to do for me? And oh, don't tell me how to live my life. Oh, don't tell me how to spend my time or use my money. Right? That their whole focus is on us and me. But this is what John writes. In, in verses 15 uh, to 16. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life comes not from the Father but from the world. Knowing God... It, it, leads to this shifting our focus, this focus away from me, from, from living in the world, and a shifting to living for God and living for other people. I want to pose you this question. The question in your life, as you live your life, as you're making decisions, what is the motivation lying behind the surface? Right? Is it a, is it a love? Is it to serve? Is it to care? Is it to encourage? Or is it a, what can I get out of this? How's this going to benefit me? When you go to church, when you Go to community group. Right? When you catch up with fellow believers, uh, when you catch up with a friend, when you serve at church, and when you serve others, do you go in with this attitude of "What can I give? What can I? G- How can I serve? How can I encourage? How can I care?" Or do we go in with the attitude of "What can I get?" Uh, what can? How can I benefit from this? What value am I getting uh, from this? Are we consumers, or are we givers and servers? Or do you hold a a bitterness, an anger, and a hatred towards uh, one of your fellow believers? Are there groups of of fellow believers that you just refuse to talk to? Right. Does it give you a little bit of pleasure and satisfaction when you see someone you dislike and they're suffering and they're struggling, and that just makes you a little bit happy? I want to take a, a moment to acknowledge that there are those here who have been seriously harmed, uh, hurt, and, and abused by those within the church. In no way do I nor 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 the Bible want to brush. Away and ignore the pain and the hurt that you have experienced and continue experiencing. We just want to acknowledge that that grief and sadness is an appropriate response at times, and that is not hatred. Hatred is a wishing for someone's harm rather than the good, because even in grief. Uh, and, and in pain, we want to see, even our enemies, we want to see them to come to repentance. We want to see them experience God's love and God's blessing in their lives. So coming back to that question, if an outsider could look into your life and an, an observe sitting on a hill here, will they see us as a community that love each other, that care for each other, that come alongside to encourage each other, that we're selflessly living our lives for each other, not for ourselves, because if we don't, that that raises some questions about do we even know God? Because if we don't, do we have fellowship with him? And if you're sitting here and thinking, Oh, that's me That's me I, I have a, h- a hatred A bitterness And an anger Towards my fellow believer now, Yeah, there are people you know, I just don't love Listen Please listen right, this, this message uh, is for you Because your eternal life is at stake right? Your salvation is potentially at stake And I'm not saying this here so that you leave feeling burdened and guilty and bad for yourself. I'm not here to just hit you over the head with the Bible so that you just feel bad and I feel good. No, I'm saying this out of a love for you. Out of a desire to ensure that you know God. And this last question is of particular importance for you. Last question. What do I do if I'm not sure I have fellowship with God? Because this is important. This passage is not saying go and work harder, right? It's not saying go and work harder at loving your fellow believers and then you'll come to know God. Nowhere does it say in this passage the response isn't to work harder. Is go to Jesus. If you're unsure, go to Jesus. And we see this reminder. Uh, uh, so, John, he, so far through this passage, it's been pretty heavy, it's been pretty firm, but his tone shifts in verse 12. It's in verse 12 of chapter 2. I am writing to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven. On the account of his name So John is, is using this, this language of, This affectionate language Dear children It's a fatherly figure uh, Speaking to a group, younger group of believers Dear children And he's saying That their sins have been forgiven Not because of their hard work But because of Jesus And that is the only pathway to fellowship with God. So if you're sitting here and you're starting to doubt right? do I know God? Do I have fellowship with him? Maybe you don't know Christ yet. Right? Maybe this is your first time at church or you're still exploring. The only way to know God and have fellowship with him is to go to Jesus. In chapter 1, verse 9, and what we saw last week, this is what John writes. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Go to Jesus. We come before him. We confess our sin. Acknowledge the sin in our lives and bring it before Jesus. He will purify us and cleanse us, and then we will have fellowship with him. That is the only pathway to Jesus. So I want to finish up here with a word of encouragement. Uh, because John didn't write this letter just to know, make make the original readers feel really bad about themselves. Uh, nor did he actually write this as a tool uh, so that we can go and diagnose our friends and uh, so we can judge whether they're really a follower of Christ or not. John wrote this letter as an encouragement uh, that that the audience he's writing to, he's seen the love in their lives. He's heard of their faith and he's assuring them that they're heading in the right direction. So keep going. And this is what um, Ezekiel, I just want to finish up with what Ezekiel has written regarding what God is doing within us. So in chapter 36, uh, so God is speaking to us uh, through Ezekiel, and this is what God says. I will cleanse you from all your impurities, from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. It is God that saves, but it's also God is working within us that he's given us his spirit to move us to follow his commands and his decrees because there is something starkly different between a giraffe and a lion because if a lion just woke up one morning sees a giraffe on the distance a, a, a lion can't just go you know what I think I'm going to be a giraffe today it doesn't work like that the same way I can't just wake up look at my lemon tree in the backyard and go Do you know what i have got to make that an apple tree today it doesn't work like that for that to happen, a miracle needs to happen and something internally has to change. That's the same way here. That in our lives, something internally has to change within us for there to be external evidence of fruit in our lives. It's a miracle as we're being transformed by God's Spirit. Transformed by into a people that love God and into a people that love each other. So with that, let us, let us pray and respond in response uh, to this message here this morning. So let's bow our heads and pray. Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, thank you for your word Thank you, Lord, for this encouragement, but also this challenging message that you would continually work in our lives to strive towards you, to strive to love you and to love others, Lord, to, to, to serve, to love, to care, to encourage, rather than seeking a life of loving ourselves. We pray that this, for those who are doubting their fellowship with you, those who don't know you yet, Lord, that they will go to Jesus, that they will bring their sin and their failure before you. As we live for you, Lord, may you be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. I just want to invite uh, the the band to come up, and we're going to respond to this message um, in song. We're going to be singing, Oh Great God, which is a a great reminder of what God has done for us, but what God is continuing to do in our lives, continuing to transform us and mold us uh, into a, a, a people that's more like his son Jesus. So I'll just uh, hand it over to the band now.